Man, I have been blessed to have the same job for the last eight years. Um, it's a wonderful job that is a gift from God. Um, but I have to tell you, it hasn't always been easy. Um, in fact, it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. There have been times that I have worked hard at this job only to barely have been noticed and to be taken for granted. It's a great job, but it has caused me a lot of heartache, pain, and it's even caused me to shed many tears. You see, eight years ago, I became a dad. What, you guys thought I was talking about when I became a pastor? No, the highs and lows of being a pastor don't even come close to the roller coaster ride that is that of a parent. One of the most difficult things about parenting is trying to teach a principle to your child when they just don't seem to get it. And I'm not just talking about teenagers. Even when kids are very young, it's frustrating to try and teach them when they are determined to do it their own way. It's as if what you tell them goes in one ear and out the other. As frustrated that I may get with my kids when they don't immediately grasp what I'm trying to tell them, I remember that I was probably just as equally frustrating to my parents as a kid and as a teenager. Growing up, I loved to listen to my dad tell stories about when he was growing up in East Texas. I could listen to him talk for hours, and he sure didn't mind telling stories that long. I remember being intrigued by the things that he used to do. I was and still am amazed that he is still not sitting in prison for half of the junk that he used to do. Now, I remember when, when I was in my teenage years that I became a little bit rebellious. I didn't exactly make the best decisions. Um, looking back on it, I'm sure I frustrated the mess out of my parents, and there were probably times that they probably wanted to choke me out to let me know who was boss. If you've got teenagers, you probably know what I'm talking about. Don't elbow them if they're sitting with you. But one time when I was bent on doing it my own way, my dad told me this story. And I don't even remember exactly what the story was. But by the end of it, I could see the corollary between he and I. As he told me the story, the light bulb went off. The very thing that he had been telling me, all of a sudden made sense. And you know what? It worked. He tried over and over again to get the point across by, by lecturing me, by, by trying to teach, and even the occasional parental threats, and maybe even a couple of beatings. All it took, though, was one simple story, and I got it. Many of you still remember stories that you learned as a child. You don't remember the long lectures that your parents gave you, but you remember these stories that they used to illustrate their point. Jesus knew the power of a story. When he taught, it was often not in a three-point sermon or a long lecture. He used stories, and we call them parables. A parable, by definition, is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. I once heard it said this way, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This weekend, we're beginning a brand new series called Tell Me a Story. See, Jesus used parables and stories to help people more easily understand biblical truths. He used familiar language and illustrations and situations to illustrate the gospel message to make it come alive for people. 
Our hope is that through these stories that Jesus told, you will discover deep spiritual truths that will challenge you to draw closer to God. We begin today's story with the story of two men who were radically different. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. See, Jesus told this parable to a group of people who thought pretty highly of themselves when it came to spirituality. Um, we're going to call the, these types of people spiritual snobs, right? Spiritual snobs look down on people whose, whose experience isn't quite as long, whose experience isn't quite as deep or quite as spiritual as their own. They make you feel inferior, like you don't quite meet up to their level of godliness, right? They know how to pray, you don't. They speak in tongues, yet you speak in a natural tongue. They get deep revelations for scripture, and, and you can't even figure out what the Bible says. They look right, you look wrong. They act right, you act wrong. They know what's best for the church, for themselves, and for you. You, on the other hand, are completely clueless. How could someone like you know anything? Their worship pleases God. Your worship is second rate. They are better connected to God. They're more holy, they're more righteous, and they're more spiritual than anyone else, and they make sure that you know it. Now, you aren't like that, right? You don't fit that description of a spiritual snob. Or do you? Have you ever looked down on someone who... who who doesn't seem to have as much God that you do? Have you ever seen someone who is new to their faith and, and still struggling with addiction and thought, man, they just need to stop doing all that. God can set them free. Have you ever watched someone who is passionately worshiping God and thought, man, they just need to tone it down. Give them a few years and they won't act as crazy in worship. Now, if any of those words seem familiar... This parable is probably for you, so I want you to listen closely. Jesus began the parable in verse 10. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, the two men that Jesus chose as his main characters were well-known in the Jewish community. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were known as the keepers of the law. See, they dressed in fancy clothes, and they went to the synagogue regularly, and they memorized huge amounts of Scripture. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were despised by everyone. They were kind of like the IRS, right? And although they were Jewish, tax collectors were officials of the Roman government. See, the Romans were an occupying force, and they were hated by the Jews. And as a tax collector working for the Romans, a tax collector took money from his own people to line the pockets of the enemy. See, tax collectors were the most hated people in their society. Why? Because the Romans virtually taxed everything. There was a poll tax. It was a tax simply for breathing Roman air. There was a ground tax and a tariff on crop growers. 
If you were a fisherman, you paid a a fish tax according to the amount of your catch. The good news for some of you, you wouldn't pay any taxes because you can't fish worth a flip. Right? If you were in the transportation industry, you would pay a cart tax. But you wouldn't just pay a cart tax for your cart. You would also pay a cart tax for every single wheel that was on your cart. There were road taxes and bridge taxes and import taxes. And on top of all of those individual taxes, each citizen had to pay 10% income tax. Taxes could easily equal 50% or more of your income. To make matters worth, tax-collecting businesses were issued through a system which granted the business to the highest bidder. And so what happened is the system was often abused. Tax collectors would put in a bid way above what the actual amount was. And then they could keep anything above what was owed to Rome, and they could keep it for themselves. The problem is the system was abused, and the rich often paid more, and they would bribe the tax collectors to avoid their taxes, and the middle and lower classes paid much more than their share. Tax collectors were hated, and they were shunned. Now, when Jesus began to teach this parable by unveiling the two primary characters, a Pharisee and a tax collector, the crowd immediately drew this conclusion. The Pharisee must be the good guy in the story, and the tax collector must be the bad guy. However, they were in for a big surprise. Jesus continued the story in verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Now, the Pharisee stood up in front of everyone in the middle of the temple, and he declared how righteous he was. His intention was to be seen and to be admired by everyone there. But he had a problem. His problem was spiritual pride. The message describes the Pharisee's actions like this. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. See, the Pharisee was aware of everyone around him. He knew that everyone was watching, and so he posed in a manner to get everyone's attention. He wanted to make sure that they heard him. And you can almost hear the way that he prayed. Oh, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. These robbers, these crooks, and these adulterers. Oh, heaven forbid, like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I tithe on all of my income. Ah, Glory to God. It was loud so that everyone could hear. It wasn't a prayer directed to God. It was a show that he was putting on. For everyone else in the room, including the tax collector. You see, when you are spiritually proud, your faith becomes a show. You sit in a place where everyone will see your hands lifted in worship and see how spiritual you are. 
right? You continually post scriptures and, and many sermons on social media so everyone will know how much you read your Bible. You answer every question in Bible study so that everyone will see you as a deep spiritual person who has lots of knowledge. Now understand, it's not the action that's the problem. There is nothing wrong with raising your hands in worship. There is nothing wrong with posting scriptures. There's nothing wrong with even answering questions. The issue comes down to your motive. Right? Raising your hands, sharing scripture, and answering questions are good things. But when your motive is to put on a show for others, then spiritual pride is an issue in your life, and you're no better than the Pharisee. In his prayer, the Pharisee compared himself to others. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. His comparison made him feel proud of his spiritual accomplishments, and it caused him to look down on others. See, spiritual pride leads you to compare yourself to others. The Pharisee began to compare. You do this when you say things like, they skip church to go to the lake? Are you kidding me? I go to church every weekend. I never miss a service. Or, or when they say, I can't believe that she would wear that. I dress up so that I can give God my best. Or they may say, I may have the occasional drink at dinner, but at least I'm not an alcoholic like my brother-in-law. In order to avoid the hard task of comparing yourself to the person that God has called you to be and what Scripture declares you should be, you compare yourself to others. You try to make yourself feel better by finding someone with a deeper life issue, a more destruction a more destructive addiction, and a more visible sin. Have you heard people do this? Well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. At least I don't do what they did. The problem with that is God gave the only acceptable basis of comparison and that's Jesus. He is the standard by which we must measure ourselves. So if you're tempted to compare yourself to others, remember that comparison works both ways. You may think that you're better than them, but when you compare yourself to Jesus, you suddenly realize that your long list of spiritual accomplishments are worthless. See, the Pharisee's entire focus was on himself. He said, I tithe, I fast, I don't do sinful things. His prayer was not about God. It wasn't about his grace. It wasn't about his provision. It was a promotional statement about himself. Have you ever met this person that always talks about all the great things that they're doing? Right? In our society, this has become known as the humble brag. Oh, yeah, I'm just working on an assignment for my doctorate. Okay, I see what you did there. Or, man, i got to wash my brand-new car. Awesome, I'm glad you've got a new car. And, and so we begin to do that. We begin to promote ourselves. Here's the issue. Is spiritual snobs are convinced that they are the reason for their success. 
It's because of their hard work, their sacrifice, or their talent that they're enjoying the blessings of God. You see, the Pharisee believed that he had achieved all the success on his own. His position in the community, his religious achievements, his, his biblical knowledge, all was the result of his own hard work. You see, when you are filled with spiritual pride, you become confident in your own righteousness. What about you? Are you like the Pharisee? Maybe you think, because you'd never say it out loud, but you think, I've been doing this Christian thing for years. I don't need to spend time in prayer every day. I don't need to study the Bible that much. I know the Ten Commandments by heart. We learned them last year. But you see, I'm afraid that the church in America has become self-reliant rather than God-reliant. We pat ourselves on on the back for our spiritual performance. We stop looking inward to see if there's something or anything that God wants to change in us because we believe that performance is what God is looking for. We forget that 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? At the heart. Now look at the other character in this story. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And the listening crowd was stunned. They never expected the Pharisee to be the example of what not to do and how not to be. To their surprise, Jesus revealed that the other character, the tax collector, as the great example of how we should be. And you see, studying the tax collector, we see a clear path for how to avoid spiritual pride. But the tax collector stood at the distance He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, the tax collector cried out to God for mercy. He he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that there was nothing about him that was worthy of God's love and forgiveness. He cried out to God for salvation and God heard his prayer. If you want to avoid spiritual pride, you must recognize your need for a Savior. You need a Savior. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of, the glorious, of God's glorious standard. No matter how spiritual you think you are, you need forgiveness every day as you fall short of God's glorious standard for your life. Paul, the great missionary and the apostle for God, called himself the chief of sinners. And listen, if Paul needed a savior while he was traveling the world, bringing the gospel to places that had never heard, how much more do you and I need a savior and the mercy of our savior every day? Your prayer should be like the lyrics of the old song. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. 
Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. You see, that should be our prayer every day. The tax collector didn't compare himself to others. He didn't compare himself to the Pharisee. He merely saw himself exactly as he was, a Savior, and he cried out to God in confession of his sin. If you want to avoid spiritual pride, confess rather than compare. Some of you need to stop comparing yourself to others and start confessing the sin of spiritual pride to God. The moment that you'll do that, he'll do just as he did with the tax collector. He will hear your prayer and he will forgive. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, that's the entire point of this parable. It's the entire purpose of this story. One way or another, you're going to be humbled. It's going to happen. Anybody in here ever been humbled? Right? And you've got a choice. Either you can humble yourself or circumstances, situations, other people, or God will humble you. It's your choice how it happens. You choose if you do it or if God does it. But either way, you will be humbled. Here here recently, I had a a wonderfully humbling experience happen. Uh, A few months ago, I posted something on Facebook. Now, it was a little bit controversial, um, but I, I posted it to challenge the status quo. I was trying to get my friends to maybe look at a situation a little bit differently. The problem with it, it was a very polarizing subject. There was no in-between. Either you loved it or you hated it. But you see, I thought that I had posted it in such a way that I could refute anyone who came against it intellectually. Right? And, and so I posted it. And I was really proud of myself. I'm like, man, I gave a thorough discourse of why this is good. And about 10 minutes later, I got a text message from one of my mentors, Rod Loy. He said, hey, I appreciate that you have opinions on, and he named the subject. He continued in his text message, said, I suggest that you take the post down. Remember, everything we do affects the church. There's no such thing as a personal Facebook page. Can I tell you, I 
hate that feeling when you know you've disappointed someone or you've done something wrong. I hate it. And when I got that text message from a man that I admire and look up to that's mentored me and my wife for the last several years, can I tell you my insides like collapsed on themselves. And you know what I did? I deleted the post. Did I have to? No. I could have been spiritually arrogant and go, hey, look, I appreciate your opinion and that you've got an opinion on the fact that I've got an opinion, but I'm going to do my own theme. Thank you very much. But I didn't. You see, he saw something I didn't see. Even with how well thought out I thought I was, that post had the potential to harm the church. That potential to harm the church way outweighed any possible gains that would have come from it. And so because of that, I deleted it. Man, talk about a humbling situation. But Jason, I don't want to be humbled. I understand. Being humbled is not fun. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, man, I hope today I get humbled by somebody. And if you do, you're an idiot. Quit doing that. But nobody wants that to to happen because it's not fun. But listen, if you want to avoid the, the spiritual pride, if you don't want to become a spiritual snob, humble yourself. Humble yourself. So how do you humble yourself? I can't give you a complete list, right? The answers are different for everyone. But I think that I can give you some great principles that might spur your own thinking. If you want to humble yourself, serve others. Man, nothing knocks out spiritual pride like serving. When you focus your attention on serving others, your family, your coworkers, the hurting, the lost, students, children, the thoughts about exalting yourself simply fade away. Spiritual pride disappears in the midst of a servanthood attitude. And in its place comes genuine humility. When you serve as a greeter, suddenly your focus is no longer on how special you are. Now you're focused on welcoming those who are hurting into God's house to receive healing. When you serve in children's or youth ministry, you're no longer focused on your own preferences and your own comfort. And instead, you're focused on pouring into the next generation of spiritual leaders who are going to change the world for Jesus. Listen, no matter how long you have been a Christian, how gifted you are, or how much talent you have, find a place to selflessly serve. Find a place where no one will applaud you. Find a place where you don't have a microphone or a platform. If you don't know where to start, I placed a card inside your bulletin today that lists many areas of ministry that that we have available here. This isn't an exhaustive list, um, but it is some of the areas that you can simply serve in. And can I tell you, there are areas on this list that you can start serving this next weekend. 
Now, there are also some areas when it has to do with, with minors that's going to take a little bit longer because we've got to run background checks and take you through our training. Um, but there are opportunities for you to serve. Man, look that card over. If you're not currently serving somewhere, Look it over. Stop by after, after service out there at the welcome table. One of us will be standing out there and, and, and talk to one of us. Find out a good place for you to serve. No matter what, find a place to serve God's people. You see, spiritual snobs are entitled. They don't recognize or appreciate God's blessings or contributions of others. To humble yourself Make it a habit of thanking others. Don't just feel thankful. Be thankful and express it. You see, thankfulness and gratitude flow from a humble heart. Just as sure as an ungrateful, complaining spirit flows out of a proud heart. It's a short leap from ingratitude to entitlement. If you aren't intentionally thankful and express it, then that unthankfulness can quickly turn into expectation and even entitlement. Several years ago, a man by the name of A.J. Jacobs embarked on a journey of radical gratitude. He wanted to personally thank every person who made his morning cup of, cup of coffee possible. He not only thanked the people in the coffee shop, but he ended up traveling all over the world thanking the people who manufactured the cup, who picked the coffee beans, and ultimately he thanked over a thousand people. Now listen, I'm not telling you that you need to fly all over the country of origin for every piece of fruit that you've got in the fruit bowl. But what I am saying is consider everything you do every day that wouldn't be possible without someone else. Then thank them personally. Right? Thank the person who opened the door for you. Thank your parents or the adults in your life for sacrificing for you. Thank your friend for being there for you during life's most confusing moments. Thank the sanctuary stocking team for the, for the pens that you hold in your hands right now to take notes. Right? Thank your service, your server at the restaurant, even when the service isn't perfect. Thank your employees for all of their hard work. Thank the custodians for cleaning the messes that you make. Thank the cashier instead of having an attitude with them when they're going a little bit slower. If you want to humble yourselves, Serve others, be thankful, and then ask God what else you need to do. You see, for some of you, you've attached your self-worth and your importance to stuff. Maybe you need to sell some of it. Humble yourself. Some of you need to change the way that you talk about others who aren't as good as you. Jesus said in Luke 18, 14, for whoever 
For, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, there's nothing worse than a spiritual snob. Nothing worse than someone who thinks they're better than you are. Think about it in your lives. Have you ever had someone that thought they were better than you? Right? I'm sure we all have. And can I promise you one thing we didn't do? We didn't go out of our way to spend time with that person. Matter of fact, we probably did the opposite. We went out of our way so that we wouldn't have to interact with them because we didn't want to deal with them. I don't know about you, but I don't want people to go out of their way to avoid me so that they don't have to deal with me. Maybe some of you today, while I've been talking, the the light has gone on for you. You realize that in more ways than you'd like to admit, that you're just like the Pharisee. You don't want to believe it, but it's clear in your attitudes. And it's clear in your actions as you listen to this parable. Listen, it's time for you to stop comparing yourself to others and start confessing your sin to God. It's time that you choose to humble yourself and be thankful. Listen, it's not your goal to be better than the people in the room. Listen, if you're comparing yourself to other Christians... You're using the wrong standard. You shouldn't even compare yourself to me, the pastor. You want to know why? Because I'm just like you. I have my own struggles and my own shortcomings. Don't believe me? Ask my wife, Tina. She will tell them to you all. No, she probably won't do that. But she can tell you that I'm not perfect. Right? Sometimes, unintentionally, I'm a jerk. And I don't mean to be. I also have resting jerk face. I don't mean to. Right? But if I'm not careful, I'll walk around life. Some of you have seen that look from me, and I apologize. I'm not mad. But you know what? If I'm not mad, I probably need to let my face show it. See, I love my wife because sometimes when I'm really intense or or when I'm tired, by the way, my tired face looks like my angry face. And my wife will constantly remind me, Jason, you got to smile. Jason, you got to smile. Jason, smile. It's not that serious. And can I just confess to you guys? Sometimes, I'm not the perfect dad. Sometimes I overreact when my kids do dumb things. See, here's the problem. I forget sometimes that my kids are kids. And they're not perfect. And they're not going to be. 
Some of you in here are dealing with teenagers. And it's hard because you look like you're dealing with an adult, but we forget that their brain is not fully functioning yet. And that's not a slight at you teenagers. That's scientific proof. Your brain's not fully developed. But yet we try to reason with them like they're adults. Maybe what they need is just a little bit of grace and a hug. Pastor, I ain't giving them no hug. Well, that's okay. If you won't give them a hug, then in 10, 15 years, your kids will be going to counseling because of you. Listen, I'm not perfect. But I try to be. You want to know why? Because I'm following after Jesus, and Jesus was perfect in every way. Every day I wake up and I say, God, make me more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. That's not, that's not just some, some trifed prayer that I pray. I pray it because I want to look more like Jesus. You want to know why? Because I want to be like Paul, who said, follow after me as I follow after Christ. Essentially, Paul was saying, if you do what I do, you're going to be okay. And you know, as a pastor, I want to be able to say, if you'll do what I do, you'll be okay. You're going to make heaven. Do you know how much pressure that puts on me? None. Because it's not my pressure to bear. As parents, you should live a life that is so like Jesus that if your kids did exactly what you do, they wouldn't miss heaven. And they would be lifelong followers of Jesus. And can I tell you, if you could take an honest evaluation of yourself and you could say, you know what, Pastor, there are things in my life that I don't do perfect and I need God to help me in it. Can I tell you, when you begin to humble yourselves and admit that you're not perfect, all of a sudden, you're going to see relationships within your family change. Can I tell you this morning, I am a good husband. Yeah, hold that. I am a great husband. But you know what I'm not? I'm not a perfect husband. In the past 11 years that my wife and I have been together, you want to know how many birthdays of her birthdays we've spent together? One. See, in my family, birthdays aren't a big deal, but in her family, birthdays are everything. And I'm not there. Do I like that? No. Is it the hand we're dealt? Yep. Do you know sometimes I get irritated with Tina? And it's over stupid crap. Some of you just got offended that I said crap. I'm sorry. (laughs) I get irritated. But did you ever notice a lot of the times when you fight with your spouse, it's over stupid junk that don't even matter? Like an hour afterwards, you've been mad, you've been fighting in your head, you're like, I can't wait, I'm, I'm going to tell you. And you walk off because you don't want to tell them right then. And then like you come back 30 minutes later, you're going, I don't even know what we're fighting about. But I still got to be angry, right? I got to win. What if we quit having to be right and started to be Righteous. You want to know why Tina forgives my imperfections? Because I love her and I love the kids. 
How do I do that? I serve them. I humble myself and I serve my family. Some of you in here don't, you're not married, right? And so you're going, well, pastor, luckily I don't have to deal with that. But you know what? You got people who are responsible for you, right? You got adults, you've got parents in your life. Yet how many times do you cop an attitude because they asked you something simple? See, some of you started to laugh. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I remember in high school, one quick story and then we'll close. I remember in high school that I'd come home after football practice. It was like 7.30, 8 o'clock, and I just threw my stuff, my books and everything on the table. And I went and showered, and I laid down on the couch. And my mom said, hey, Jason, I need you to take your books, put them in your room. We're about to eat dinner. You see, because in our family, we tried to eat at the dinner table quite often. It didn't always happen, but we tried. And I said what every teenager in here has said and what every parent in here has said, okay, I'll get to it in a minute. And that minute went by and I did nothing. And once again, my mom said, hey, Jason, I need you to move your books. And like an idiot, I screamed at the woman. Not one of my brightest moments. I said, if you want them off the table, you move them. And you know what? She did. She grabbed them and threw them out the house. And you know, at this point, because I'm a rational teenager, in my head I went, hey, you know what? I should probably shut my mouth and go out, pick up my books, put them in the room like mom told me. But no, that's not what this brain-dead child did. I started yelling at her. What were you thinking? How could you do that? Those were expensive books. Now you're going to have to buy them. See, you got mad. You got to do it. Can I just let you know? That was the first time in my life that my mom came after me with a two-by-four. That night, because of my arrogance over something so stupid, I had the cops called on me because my dad and I went to fist fighting in the front yard. The neighbors called the cops on us. I was a good kid. I loved Jesus. I went to church. I never missed youth camp. I was always at youth group, but I still had this attitude. And I thought it was hilarious when the first cop car showed up. I even thought it was really funny when the third cop car showed up. I even remember saying to the third cop that got there, what's going on, man? Y'all ain't got anything better to do? But by the time the fifth cop car got there, it wasn't so funny. Over what? Books on a table. What would have taken me 15 seconds to do ended up becoming over an hour-long ordeal. By the way, needless to say, we didn't eat dinner at the table that night. I don't even know that I ate dinner that night. Luckily, I didn't go to jail, although I could have. Why? Because I caught an attitude over stupid junk. Maybe some of you growing up, you remember some of those same things. Maybe even now dealing with your teenagers, you just go, you wanted to nudge them when I'm telling that story going, hey, pay attention. But I quickly realized that if I was going to make anything in my life, I needed to humble myself. Because sometimes things just aren't that big of a deal.
Teenagers, can I, can I promise you something? The guardians in your life, your parents, grandparents, whoever it may be, they don't hate you. They're not out to make your life miserable. It feels that way. And I know right now in your life you think you know everything. In 10 years, you'll realize you didn't. But I want to challenge you. How about a simple yes, ma'am, yes, sir? Teenagers, if you don't like the relationship that you've got with the authority figures in your life, maybe you should do something about it. You see, it's time to quit making excuses about other people. Parents, you don't like the relationship you've got with your kids? Do something about it. Well, pastor, I don't know where to start. Good news, I do. Start with God. Humble yourself before God and tell him you need help. Tell him you need help to be a better husband, a better father, a better mother, a a better wife. Tell, Tell God that you need help being a better kid. And ask God what to do. Teenagers, Can I help you with something? Take out the trash without being asked. Clean your room without them coming in and telling you, hey, looks like a pigsty in here. Parents, do something special for your kids. See, in my life, I never want to look like the Pharisee. I never want to be so spiritually arrogant that I think others are beneath me. See, being a pastor, the only thing special about that is the calling of God that I've got on my life. But I'm not any better than any of you guys. I still struggle. I still sometimes lose my temper. But I stay submitted to God. And when it happens, I'm quick to ask forgiveness. And I'm quick to change whatever was going on. For some of you in here, maybe the reason that you've stayed away from church for so long is because of people who claim to be Christians. Right? They resemble the Pharisee. I just want you to know that they don't represent who Jesus is at all. In fact, they're living in disobedience to God's commands. Listen, Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. He died for you, and he wants you to place your faith in him. Don't let anyone keep you from the God who loves you. Would you bow your heads with me? And I know this is a hard message to respond to because you've got to humble yourself. You've got to admit your your pride. You've got to admit your spiritual attitudes. Right? You've got to admit some of the things that I've said out loud. You're not happy about it, but the Holy Spirit is talking to your heart right now. And you know it's time to make some changes. 
you know it's time for you to humble yourself and ask God to help you change. If that's you and and today you would say, Pastor Jason, that's me. I've got some of these attitudes, these thoughts. I need to look more like Jesus because I mess up in so many ways. But today, today I want God to help me. I've tried it on my own for far too long, and today I want to surrender to God's will for my life. And I need his help. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I see your hand there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, today I pray over men and women. God, that have said that they've got some areas in their life that they need to confess to you, but God, that they need you to fix. God, today we ask you to do the thing that only you can do in their lives. God, we ask you, God, to help them be humble. God, as they confess to you, God, as they choose to humble themselves, God, I pray that you would show them what to do next. God, that you would help them find an area to serve. God, that you would help them find a way to show love to their families. God, to their friends, to their co-workers. God, that if it's an issue of spiritual arrogance, God, that they would repent and turn away from it. God, and they would begin to see people as you see them. God, help us today to look more like Jesus than we did yesterday. God, and help us to look more like Jesus tomorrow than we do today. God, we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.